0: Good morning, Redemption Gateway. How are you today? Good. Uh, my name is Josh. I am the student pastor here and uh, it is a pleasure to be with you this morning. Uh, before we jump in I want to actually ask if you would uh, be willing to just pray with me uh, one more time. Uh, there's a lot happening in the world, uh, a lot happening in the the Middle East and so I just want to take some time to pray for uh, all folks involved over there. Would you pray with me? Father, as we just sang, this is my Father's world, oh let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. And Lord, we live in a world that is chaotic, that is full of conflict, uh, and we just want to call upon you, Lord. Uh, we want to we want to call upon the one who ha- is everlasting to everlasting. We want to call upon the one uh, who has all power and authority, and that is you, Lord Jesus, and we just want to ask that you would move mightily to bring peace in the midst of conflict in Israel and Palestine. Father, we pray for those hurting, for those who have lost lives, for those who have uh, just encountered just severe atrocities. Lord, we pray. Uh, for real peace and real comfort. Father, we thank you that in the end there is a judgment and that, God, you're a good judge and you will punish sin and you will punish evil. And, Father, our hope is in that. And so, Lord, would you care for uh, those folks there. Also encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ who are trying to meet needs and to serve people and to be the hands and feet of Christ there. Uh, Lord, would you encourage them, give them boldness, courage, and strength. Father, we love you. Uh, We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you for that. Um, Yeah. Welcome. If this is your first time here, we are in a series in Revelation. Uh, It's the last book of the Bible, and I'm excited to get a shot at this. You know, boom, I get a crack at uh, this, and so uh, we'll see how this goes this morning. Uh, You guys can let me know, thumbs up or thumbs down. Uh, But anyway, uh, we are in kind of the the very middle of Revelation. So Revelation 12 and 13 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, And really keep your Bibles open, uh, because we're going to read it a lot. I'm going to point out it a lot. And then I'm also not going to probably answer all of your questions. If you've been reading along, like I know so many of you have, uh, you're like, man, who's this? What's this? What's this about? Where is that? Uh, so I'm going to let Luke and Seth do the heavy lifting on that stuff. And uh, so there's this QR code that we've got. Uh, we're going to have a question and answer night. They do a podcast uh, as well, where they can answer a lot of your questions. And they're going to do some special episodes where they can do that. So we do have a Q&A night coming Up, I think in November. And so, if you have questions, scan that, uh, and then you know you're like, "Ooh, tell me more." Uh, Maybe scan it now, so you're like, "Maybe he'll answer my question about what the mark of the beast is." Uh, Maybe I won't, because they already did a podcast episode, and if there is this podcast called Kingdom Culture Podcast, and so uh, they do a whole episode on what's the mark of the beast, uh, what's that about? And so, if you're interested in learning about that, I found it very beneficial and helpful. I bet you will too. So uh, check them out on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, King and Culture. So there we go. That's my Revelation plug uh, for stuff if, you know, we've got like 30 minutes, you know. So uh, two very, very uh, interesting chapters, but that's how we got it. So let's just jump right into it. Uh, if you're uh, remembering some of the things, the reminders about Revelation uh, of why, what— Revelation is kind of doing here. Here's a couple of reminders to take a look at as we jump in this morning. Revelation is less about predicting and more about preparing. And as we look at our two uh, passages this morning, I think uh, that'll be really apparent to keep in mind. Uh, And then Revelation is a warning about the temptation to compromise, where uh, it's being written to a specific group of churches in what is now modern-day Turkey, and there's this uh, tons of pressure upon them to actually uh, compromise their faith. And as you read chapters 2 and 3, there's a lot of things happening in those churches, and namely one of them is the shakiness sometimes of their allegiance to the one true God in the midst of a chaotic culture. And so uh, that's some of those things to kind of keep in mind. Uh, But when I, I think actually this week, maybe today, this week, I don't know, as I've been on staff here now three years. Uh, and uh, when I first came on staff, uh, I remember that uh, I would just like have to ask Seth a lot of questions, uh, you know, like, because people would ask me things. And I'm like, I don't know them. Let me ask Seth. His office was right next to mine. And so I'd ask Seth, like, hey, what do you, what do you, what do you think I should do? And Seth, Seth would just say, hey, give him a call. And so I'd pick up the phone and I'd have a conversation for like 15, 20 minutes with people. And that was basically it. I I asked him that a few more times and he's like, give him a call. And I was like, okay, I guess that's my default mode when something bad happens or somebody asks me a question, I'm just going to give him a call. And so I call this one uh, family and uh, they share their story and it's just like really heartbreaking and terrible. And, um, you know, I get off the phone and I go into his office and I, I remember saying like, hey, why is this happening? Like, why? Like, why can't people figure that out, you know? And in classic Seth form, uh, he gave me the answer I was not expecting. I said, why is this happening? And he said, because it's demonic. And I was like, right. And then I left. <laughs> and so the thing, though, is, is do I believe that Satan's real? Yes. Do I believe that demons exist? Yes. But in my functional daily life, do I feel like they influence and impact the life and the world around me? If I'm going to be honest, in that moment, the answer to that was no. I was not looking for that. I was looking for, well, because this happened in their family, or because, you know, the the finances are tough, or because, right? I was looking for any other reason except he goes and he's like, it's demonic. And so uh, I looked up this study. It's from 2009 and here, here you go. So in 2009, the Barna group did a study and they asked uh, uh, a bunch of Christians or people self-proclaimed Christians. They said four out of 10 Christians strongly agreed with the statement that Satan is not a living being, but is a symbol of evil. So it's four out of 10, right? And then the next part is it says an additional two out of 10 Christians roughly 19%, said they agree somewhat with that perspective. So even if we split the difference, it'd be like half of the self-proclaimed Christians that they interviewed or took the survey with would say that Satan is not actually a living being, just kind of a representation of evil in the world. Um, and here, here is... Uh, Kind of to wrap it up, I I soon found out on staff, I would hear this a lot, that the most disbelieved verse in all the Bible is Ephesians 6.12, and I'll read it for you. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Happy Sunday. You know, like, uh, that... The reality is, is that oftentimes can be the most disbelieved verse in all of the Bible as takes my reaction to the story is like, oh, forgot, forgot that we actually have enemies at large in the midst of our world that are animating and trying to, you know, bring down people. And yet that's where we are in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 12, as you heard Matt read this amazing story that is uh, starting to be this this symbol or this uh, picture of the reality behind what's going on in the world. And so this morning I've titled the sermon, The Reality of Cosmic Conflict. There's conflict all in the midst of the world that we can see But yes, if we're going to be Bible-believing Christians and reading the whole text of all of Scripture, we would also have to say that there is a conflict that we can't see, that there is a cosmic conflict happening between God and the enemies of God, and it's the reality we live in. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump into Revelation 12 and 13. Father, I pray right now that you uh, would just open our eyes to see Christ— to see Jesus as glorious, to see Jesus as powerful, to see Jesus as the ruler of the kings of earth, the one who is worthy to take the scroll, to see him as our conquering slain lamb, the Lion of Judah. And so, Lord, I pray that you would move in and uh, through me and that, Lord, you would just guard uh, our hearts this morning as we look at the text and uh, help us to love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so the main idea this morning is this. In the midst of cosmic conflict, God's people are called to endurance. God's people are called to endurance. So first point is this, is that we're just going to do a little history lesson. uh, And it's the reality of cosmic conflict. You know, just imagine if you were uh, a new member to one of the seven churches that John's writing to. You know what I mean? You show up, they have their Start Here class. You know, you get to know a little bit about Pergamum. You get to know a little bit about Thyatira, wherever you're at. You know what I mean? You get to know a little bit about that church and you do the Start Here class. And then you take their membership class or like what would be similar to us is like our rooted class. You know, you go and you take the rooted class and they go, okay, like let's tell you a little bit about us let's start with a little family history and then they take you to Revelation 12 and that's kind of like what's happening here is that we get a, a you know the, the, tr- the last trumpet has just sounded the end of it all has happened now has come right the kingdom of our God the kingdom of the world has now become the kingdom of, our cri- of the Christ you know it's like, now it's like all finished and then John goes oh verse 1 and a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Stories do things uh, that just telling you the like, facts uh, can't do as we've said a lot, story uh, evokes emotion and it evokes response and it evokes kind of feeling and different things inside of us. And so and rather than telling you the basic facts of the history lesson, John starts with, oh, right? Like he has this vision and it's a vision of this woman. Now, the question is like, who is the woman? Some of you may want to throw that up there on your Revelation Q&A. Who is the woman? Some say, you know, oh, she's pregnant and was crying out in birth pains. Oh, it sounds like it uh, might be one of the ladies in the scriptures who is pregnant. And then it says, and another sign appeared in heaven. And that's where you get the great red dragon. And take a look at verse four towards the end. He says, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. He gave birth to a male child One who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And so she's the mother of the Messiah. That's the symbol that's being given. This picture of a rod of iron comes from Psalm 2 and in other places in scripture of the Messiah, the king. God has a king. It seems like all the earth has kings. All the earth has rulers, but God has set his king on his throne and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to rule with a rod of iron. And so the the woman is this mother who's pregnant and is going to give birth to the Messiah. And then you have the great red dragon who's ready to devour and stamp out the Messiah. So immediately in the beginning of the story, there is conflict between the woman and the dragon. Now, some might want the woman to be Eve. Some might want the woman to be Mary. Some might want the woman to be Israel. Some might want the woman to be the church. Here's what I'm going to say to you. Yes, you know, like it's a symbol. It's a symbol of God's people, God's covenant people that that the the Messiah is coming from. So yes, right? But here's the thing is that this conflict is not new. Welcome to the history lesson, right? Genesis 3.15 says this, in the garden after Adam and Eve sin, this is what God says to the serpent. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Uh, There's this uh, Bible story, uh, kind of this kid's Bible that my kids and I have been listening to their podcasts. And they call Jesus uh, the snake crusher. Right? They call Jesus the snake crusher because he shall crush your head or bruise your head. But you'll only bruise his heel. Immediately thrown into the midst of a new member at any of these churches is, hey, welcome to the church. Welcome to the family. Let's remind you that there's actually been this long history of cosmic conflict between our God and the enemy, this ancient serpent. And then you kind of see this thing continue to move. You see it move. And now the dragon is actually revealed, right? The dragon's revealed. and says, now war arose in heaven. This is what Matt read for us. Uh, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. Uh, that word is rooted in like, he didn't have the power to overcome. He didn't have the strength. He couldn't win. And so he's defeated. And there was no longer any place in heaven. Now, the question that I've been wrestling with is like, hey, are these like two different uh, wars taking place? You've got this like battle between the woman and the dragon happening. Now you've got this battle between like angels. Could you imagine seeing this vision? You're just like chilling there and John's like, whoa, there's this woman and this dragon. They're duking it out. Okay, wait a second. Look over here. There's Aunt Michael and his you know, or angels and demons fighting over here. What's happening? And so there's this verse that's pretty wild in verse 5, it says she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness. Uh, for those who are parents, uh, I'm just realizing this. Uh, this is my first go at having a kid that's in like real school. And so I'm learning. You ask a question when you pick them up from school, and you say, hey, how's your day today? And what do they say? Fine. Good. That's it. You're like, shortest day ever. Don't know what I'm paying for over here, but guess it was good. Thumbs up. You know, and like, that's it. That's kind of like this. You're like, you read that. So the Messiah is born, right? The one who's going to rule the nation with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. It's like, hey, tell me about what Jesus did. That was like the fastest way you could ever say it. He's born and now he's caught up to heaven and he's reigning. And you're like, oh, that's wild. It's partly because John assumes that we know the gospel story, right? We've talked a lot about in scripture that, that or not in scripture, in revelation that you, you got to know your Bible fairly well to kind of really look at that. And so in the sense of he knows his people who are listening that he's writing to, they know the gospel story. They know about the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. And here, he just tells it quickly because part of the history is not necessarily giving us all the details here, but in Revelation 12, it's making us known to the fact that we have a real enemy. That's the point of this history telling is that there's a real enemy involved and you then get who is the real enemy. The real enemy is verse nine and the great dragon was thrown down that the that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. The word devil means adversary, means accuser, but there's this element of that it also comes from kind of this word to separate. And so, what has he been about? His whole time, You know, you read this story and then all of a sudden some of the things that Jesus said about uh, Satan in John chapter 8 and in other ways along in scripture start to take on a little bit of reality and fresh life. And you go, oh, that part where he was a murderer from the beginning that Jesus said. Oh, or the part where it says that he has no truth in him. He's the deceiver of the whole world. Or that when he speaks, he speaks out of his own character that he's a liar and he's the father of all lies. Right? Basically what John is doing is he's exposing the enemy for who he is. He is the devil. He's one who wants to separate God and man. He doesn't want to see God and men reconciled and redeemed. He doesn't want to see that. Instead, he wants to see and kill and destroy the things that God has created. And so here you have him. But you also have another part. He's the accuser of the brethren. Take a look, right? It says in verse 10 it says, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Take a look at verse 11. It says, And they have conquered him, talking about the brothers the brethren and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they loved not their lives even unto death the history that john is telling this this vision that we're getting is revealing who the enemy is but he is a defeated enemy and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb that that there's his or Christ's victory, that catching uh, the the male child up to God and to his throne, that is talking to us about the victory of Christ that he won on the cross. And in the same time, uh, the way I see it is in the same time, there's a battle raging while Christ is dying on the cross and he's risen. There's this battle raging and Satan is no longer uh, able to accuse the brethren because now, The victory has happened. The kingdom and the power and the salvation of God have come in Christ and he has been thrown down. He no longer can accuse because the Messiah has come and he's now reigning. Notice he says the authority of our Christ, uh, of the Christ has come. And so Christ's victory is the defeat of Satan that we see in this text. But then there's this third movement that, that we have in verse 13, and, and I'll just kind of summarize it and we'll get to the end because we've got even 13 to get to, so we'll see how this goes. But in, in short, is that now notice in verse 13, he says, And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had been, who had given birth to the male child. And so then the woman escapes. She's helped by God. There's lots of Old Testament imagery of him helping them and uh, of helping God's people. And then it says in verse 17, Then the dragon, now that he couldn't get the woman, then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. So it's like, yeah, you show up to this church. You're like, man, I'm new to Pergamum. Seems like a great place. Loving it here. Got a nice little living that's going on, you know, like. And then you take this new members class and they tell you this story. And you notice what it says in verse 12. is like, rejoice, heavens. He's no longer here. But woe to you, earth and sea. And what does it say about him? Woe to you, earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. It's actually loving and gracious and honest to be told the truth that you have a real enemy. You know, like it's, it's nice and sobering to realize like, oh, when I want to ask the question, why do all the things happen in the world? There are lots of reasons why they do. But if the fact that uh, there's this real conflict that's happening with my eyes or behind my eyes that I can't see, if there's a real conflict between Satan and the church, between Satan and God's people, between God and Satan, if I, if I don't, don't ever actually acknowledge that, I'm actually not living like faithfully biblical Christianity. And so there's this element where, like, this is the reality we live in. And oftentimes, like, uh, I I remember when I first got the student, when I became the student pastor, uh, somebody asked me, like, after the first two months of, uh, of doing Wednesday nights, they were like, hey, how do you leave Wednesday night? Like, is it great? And I'm like, actually, I love Wednesday night. It's the best. But then after Wednesday night's over, a lot of people tell me a lot of really bad things that are happening to our students. And uh, I actually started uh, when I was, our first series was in the Lord's Prayer. And so they said, how do you leave every Wednesday night? And it was like first two months. And I said, "Uh, I actually just pray the last line of the Lord's Prayer all the time. And the last line of the Lord's Prayer is, and Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And you look out on all these students, over 200 and something students that come on a Wednesday night. And uh, I look at Revelation 12 and I go, yeah, that's real. There's a real enemy. Because I'm seeing what they're going through and I'm seeing the things done to them and seeing the things they do. And you're like, ah, I got no shot. So Lord, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Because when you set yourself in reality, you actually now have the ability to move and live for reals. You know, like the reason John is writing this this whole book is to kind of help them make sense of what's happening in their real life situation, but what's happening kind of behind the scenes in this situation. That yes, there are really bad people in the world, but there's also a real enemy and his name's Satan and he hates you and he wants to devour you. And so the question is, is do you live in reality? Does it even register? Because if it does, I think it changes the way you kind of wake up in the day. I also think it changes the way you kind of engage with the scriptures. Part of, you know, Ephesians 6, the most disbelieved verse, wrestling against flesh and blood, is found in a whole passage on the armor of God. And so you take on the full armor of God. We're not left helpless. And this whole text, even when you read the whole thing and really sit with it, I don't think you get a sense from the history that somehow he's won and we have no shot. What you get when you hear Matt read it in its entirety or when you sit and listen to it in its entirety is that, yes, you have a real enemy, but there is real victory. And that has come through the slain lamb. And while things may seem really terrible and get worse, it actually is a sign that there's real victory because he's mad and he's going off and he's making war, making war on God's people. And so what do you need in this hour? Like, what is the thing that you need? Do we need to know all the things to do? What do we have to do? Well, I think the thing that John says that we desperately need is endurance It is not that we need more tricks up our sleeve, we need more uh, battle attacks, more uh, other things. We're living in reality in the midst of a cosmic conflict, but we're also in need of endurance. And so I'm going to summarize chapter 13 for you a little bit. Uh, so at the very end of chapter 12, you see Satan, and he's in the vision. He's standing on the sand of the sea. And in 13, uh, there's two beasts. So Satan calls out uh, a, a beast from the sea, which is like this chaotic re- region, this this uh, the the place of kind of chaos and madness and uh, opposition to God. He calls out a beast from the sea. But then uh, there's a second one, and then he sees another in verse 11. There's a second beast that he sees. Rising out of the land. And the beasts work in conjunction with each other. They're not opposed necessarily to each other. They work in conjunction with each other. The, the beasts of the sea, uh, I'll just read in verse 5, it is, <clears throat> or starting in verse 4, I suppose, he says, uh, And they worship the dragon. Uh, right, So they, they are worshiping Satan and he had given his authority. Satan had given his authority to the beast. And then people are worshiping the beast saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? And then it goes on to say that every tribe and nation and language and people, uh, all who dwell on the earth in verse eight, uh, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. They all worship the beast. And then it says the second beast, the one from the the land, is essentially trying to help get everybody to worship the beast. So you have these two beasts working in conjunction. And so, in the midst of all of that, what does John say that you need? It's verse 10. And in verse 10, he says, This is what you need in this hour. And it's the very line after that very sobering song in verse 10 uh, is this Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Here's a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. What do you need in the midst of chaos, in the midst of conflict, in the midst of pressures, in the midst of a world that wants to see you worship anything but Christ, right? In the midst of that type of world, what do you need? You need endurance. So what should we endure in? Uh, You can find it in verse 17 of chapter 12 but we're going to endure in two things today uh, and hopefully to the end till Jesus comes. But we're going to endure in first. We're going to endure in obedience to God. Obedience is kind of a weird word. I remember uh, one of my first meetings uh, with Matthew. He doesn't know how to say this, but we were talking about kids and life and all this stuff. And I was like, man, it's tough to get your kids to obey you. And he asked this really important question. And he said, why should your kids obey you? And I was like, hmm, that's a great question. As a new dad, I was like, because I'm their dad? I don't know. He's like, no, because you love them. I was like, oh, yeah, that's the right answer. (laughs) But that's like actually what obedience is about. Right? When it comes to actually our life with God, and if we are God's people, that we are the offspring of the woman, now we are these uh, children who go off and we are making much of God and his Christ in the world. Now, wh- why do we obey? We don't obey because, well, he's God, yes, but actually it's from this new love relationship that we have been found in, that we've been reconciled in. And so uh, obedience has more to do with a heart of worship and love and faithfulness to the God who has saved us than it does with, well, I guess he's God and I should just listen to him. Because in that vein, it's like, well, whoever has the most power, I should just listen. And that's not really how God works. God far more works through sacrificial love, through care. I mean, when you read this whole thing, you don't get the sense that Satan cares about you. You get the sense that he truly hates you and wants to see God's people destroyed. But when you read this also, you get the sense that he's not as powerful as God. Even though as you read chapter 13, you're like, man, that's a lot of bad stuff happening. That seems like the whole world has gone astray. But then when you get the little window into the saints, they are the ones who go to captivity because it's, well, I guess they're going to go. They're not going to disobey God. And it has more to do with allegiance. Allegiance. It has more to do with staying strong to the end, you know, in in the sense of what is the command I'm obeying? Well, in Deuteronomy, it would be to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? Or to obey the first commandment. What is the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. I'm not going to answer all your questions about the beast this morning, but I think we could say this. What is its main concern? Its main concern is to get you to not worship the one true God, but to actually worship anything other than God. And so then the real sobering effect on our own hearts is, well, what are we enduring? How's our worship? And I'm not talking just about singing songs. I'm talking about heart affection, allegiance, and obedience to the one true God, the living God, the one who sent his son, right? Like that's what we're being called to. That's what John is saying. Endure in this. Endure in holding fast. During the early church, there's plenty of martyrs that, that died in, in, you know, as they suffered under the hand of different Roman emperors, that this is kind of written in that context. But one of them I I love is uh, there's this guy named Polycarp. And he was an old guy. He had made it to the end. And they bring him before the Roman government and they're like, denounce your faith. And he says to them, he says, I've been a Christian for 86 years. I'm not going to deny him now. My king has been good to me. And you know, when you understand reality, that there's this reality of cosmic conflict, things that, that like actually the Bible talks about, like or in Philippians 1.21, when Paul says, for to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You're like, oh yeah. Like what does death have on me is basically what these, uh, this text is saying that the only thing they've got is death. And even then that leads you, as we've seen, into the throne room of God where the martyrs are with God. It's not that every one of us is going to have to die for our faith. It's just that it's got to kind of be on the table. That I love the Lord my God so much that even if you take my life, I'm not going to turn away. That's the kind of obedience John wants us to walk in. The second type of endurance or second thing he says is, the beast or the dragon went off to make war on the rest of her offspring in verse 17 is those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus They hold to the testimony of Jesus. What is the testimony of Jesus? What is the word of our testimony? The testimony of Jesus is literally, think of like, kind of like the courtroom environment. If you were thinking courtroom, like, well, I want his testimony to be my testimony. In verse 11, it says, And they have conquered the dragon by the blood of the lamb. They have conquered the dragon by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Because they love not their lives, even unto death. And so there's this, this, what should I endure in? I should endure in the gospel. I should endure in the life, death, and resurrection of the one true and living God. I should endure in following Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. I should endure in this gospel testimony. And here's the crazy thing is that when it says, and you've conquered, right? You've won. There is victory by the blood of the lamb in verse 11. It's not just the way in which we've conquered that we've now shared in the victory that Christ has won on the cross, but it's also the basis of your victory. The basis of your victory is not that you keep trying harder to win these cosmic battles that happen It is not that you keep trying to fight temptation on your own strength. It is not that you go out and try to do all these things with your willpower. The basis or the grounds of your victory is Christ's substitutionary, sacrificial atonement for you. It is the shed blood of the one true son of God in your place. That is the basis of the victory of the saints. Nothing else. And so when the accuser comes at you, and he's going to come, and he doesn't do it sometimes in loud words, sometimes he does it in subtle words, and he doesn't do it all the time. But when he's accusing you before God, when he's accusing you in your conscience, saying that you don't matter, you still have guilt, when he's saying that you've done this, and I saw you last week at work, and all these different things, the things that he likes to say to get you to doubt that you actually could ever be saved. Don't look inside you. The answer is not there. We're not able to save ourselves. He says in verse 11, we have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. The basis, the grounds for saying you have victory is the slain lamb who was dead but now lives. And so the key to our victory is this, it is to look to Jesus. Hebrews 11 says, let us run with endurance, the race set before us, looking to Jesus, right? Looking to Jesus. The whole point of revelation in the very beginning is like this revelation of Jesus Christ. It's both uh, uh, revealing who Christ is and what he has to say. And if you look at the beginning of Revelation, you get all of these pictures of who Christ is, that he's the ruler of the kings of earth. He is the faithful witness. He is the one who holds the keys to death and Hades. In the midst of real pressure, in the midst of real conflict, in the midst of any spiritual attack, what is the key to my endurance? My key to my endurance is to draw near and look to Christ to see his love, his sacrifice, see his real presence with his people. And as the scriptures say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And that's what we desperately need in the midst of this reality. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've done. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to live in reality. Not that we're looking for Satan under every rock, but Lord, help us to know we have a real enemy. And so may we stay uh, faithful, may we endure, and may we look always to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.